Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. It's such a beautiful day. Don't you guys love that we have these windows where we can see God's creation yeah. and the light, right? Every Sunday, I feel like um, this space that becomes holy ground um, is a little bit... I heard this phrase. Who told me this phrase? Alita told me this phrase. What is it? Dipping your foot... Isn't that so great? Dipping your toe in the pool of the promised land. That's what Sunday morning is, right? That's what worship with the family of God is. It's dipping your toe in the pool of the promised land. I'm probably going to use that phrase every day for the rest of my life. It's so good. So welcome. Happy Mother's Day to all our women because, yes. We believe that in every woman is this beautiful, innate um, desire and ability God breathed to mother. So whether you are a physical mother or a spiritual mother, we honor you. So women, woohoo! women power, hashtag. Um, so welcome. If you guys will please stand, we're going to... Um, transition into a time of worship. And I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, we always start off our service with um, the psalm from the lectionary. So if you didn't know this, um, every um, worship or holy day in the Christian calendar has a set of scriptures. And so we incorporate the lectionary because all over the world right now, believers um, Christians are gathering together and are um, gathering around these scriptures. And so we always choose a psalm to start. What I love about today's psalm is it's Psalm 1, which has been a, a prophetic psalm for our church. It's been an inspirational psalm, a visionary psalm. And coming off of Birthday Sunday last week, I just feel like it was a really neat confirmation of who we are as God's people. So I would like for us to read this together. I will lead you on the mic, but there's something about all of our voices saying this together that just feels really beautiful and necessary this morning. So we don't have it. JK. 
I'm going to, does anyone have a real Bible? <laughs> awesome. I'm going to read it to you. Just kidding. We're going to do that another time. It was a great idea though, wasn't it? I liked it. Thank you. <laughs> it's the thought that counts. <laughs> oh, so great. All right, someone. Thank you for whoever left their Bible right here. Bless you. It was God, right? Preparing the way. Okay. All right. So how happy is the person, the man, the woman, the community who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers? Instead, their delight is in the Lord's instructions and they meditate on it day and night. They are like trees planted beside streams of water. Just close your eyes and imagine that. They are like trees flourishing, thriving, planted by streams of water. They bear fruit in season. Their leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Just close your eyes for about 10 seconds and just sit with that psalm. What rises up in you? feelings, what thoughts, how are you viscerally responding to those words this morning? What is the spirit wanting you to pay attention to? God, we thank you for your word that is so sharp. It goes to the deepest part of us and presses that one button of the thing we may not want to pay attention to. It may make us angry, it may make us encouraged, it may make us convicted or feel joyful, but it, it gets at what needs to be get at. It forces our face to look at the thing we don't wanna look at. So this morning we step into that other dimension where we are courageous, where we lay aside our inhibitions, where we say yes to the things that maybe every day we say no to, and we fully open ourselves to your presence and to the life of God. We join you in this worship journey today as you form our hearts to the good life of the kingdom. We say yes and amen. Amen. you pick up the pieces. Thank you for picking up the pieces. And for every person here that feels that they're in pieces right now, breathe hope that you will pick them up. Reintroduce them to your love. We thank you for your presence here. Feel your spirit.
moving. And I'm grateful for those moments. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I, my husband and I and our kid have been with River City since the beginning. And one of my very favorite things about RCC is that we press into awkward and messy and painful things we don't ignore and we don't candy coat. Um, and Mother's Day can be that for a lot of people. It can be a painful time. It can be um, a time where you have remember a loss or an estranged relationship, um, something that has not lived up to a dream that you've had. And so I've certainly been through that. We've walked through infertility and adoption and foster care and um, things that um, didn't work out quite like what we thought they were going to. And so we want to say that we see you, that we acknowledge that, that this is not, you know, the whole thing was the Hallmark commercials, that this life doesn't turn out like that. Now it's the Publix commercials. Your holidays don't all... <laughs> Your holidays don't always look like that around the family table. And so we just want to acknowledge that. And I want to um, say to you, you know, I, I have a tendency to blame Disney for romanticizing life. But Disney kind of hit mom and daughter relationships on the head, hit the nail on the head, when you think about their characters. And um, when we... Um, when we mother other people, we are made in God's image. As women, we're not made in man's image. God didn't make man first and then made us in his image. We were in God's image. So mothering comes from God. It is his spirit. And um, so while it can be a painful time, I want you to also see that um, we can mother others even if we haven't given birth to them. And we can be mothered by others who love and pour into us. And so today, if you could honor or just thank somebody who's mothered you well, um, that would be great. And it'd be a way to augment our understanding of Mother's Day. And so uh, just know if you need anything, if you need to talk to somebody, if this is a painful time for you, please come. Find somebody on staff. If you want prayer or if you just want a listening ear or you want somebody to yell at or whatever, um, just, look, you know, search out. <laughs> you can come yell at me. I might cry, but um, you can yell near me. But please come and share. Allow us to share these things. We want to share uh, celebrations. We want to share um, hard times. We want to walk with you guys. So all that to say, hope you all have a good day. All right, so really quickly before I start, a couple quick announcements based around the space. One, be praying about this for this week. The school across the parking lot has approached us about wanting to use this upstairs space during the week, which has honestly always been kind of a dream for us to have this space used all around the clock instead of just being another church that's kind of empty all week. Um, but we're praying through the way to do that correctly and how to do it. Um, our offices as a church will move down to the lower space. City kids will be down there, so it's doable. But we just want to do it the, the right way that honors what we need, what they need. And we're having a meeting this Thursday at 5 that I would love for you guys to be praying about, okay? Lift us up as we do that. That would be a big partnership for us to do this with this school. Number one. Number two, um, 
as you see us kind of posting this stuff about the space and the needs and the story to it, I want to just encourage you, I don't usually do this, to, to share what we're doing because you don't know who will see or hear what's happening and something clicks. And, and you don't know if one, one day we spread it and the next week you're standing in T-Pain's basement looking at... And I say that because that literally happened this week. Somebody heard about our space, was connected to T-Pain, of course, right? And me and Jordan are sitting around walking around his mansion on Wednesday, Friday, looking at things he wants to donate because he's redoing his whole studio. Okay, that, there's no way I write that story. I, I said T-Pain, right? Like, Right, see, you know what I'm talking about, Stephen Ann. If you can finish this, I'm in love with a, then you do not need to be here. All right, so on my way to his house, I was like, I got to know a couple songs in case she pops in. He's like, what do you like? And I was like, I love this song over here about this, and that one came up. So actually be praying about that, because tomorrow he's going to be examining the stuff that we said we'd be interested in and seeing if it can be donated for nonprofit. But I say all that to say, one, I know people. Two, um, two, share the stuff, the story, the needs. You never know what could happen, right? Like, God can bless us in so many different ways, crazily. He has a purple Rolls Royce. And I was thinking, we're going to start a fund for that as well. We're going to do a GoFundMe for the pastors. We really need one for the kingdom, if you think about it. Amen. Yes, so the way that you're going to help us today, though, at the end, I'm going to give you opportunity. Our needs for the space are around 55000 and that is bare bones, things for getting kids ministry ready for a hopeful kickoff the beginning of August down in that space. So the way that we would love for you to partner is, one, realize that we all bring something to the table. Two, you can't just expect everybody else to do it. Three, if you're not a tither, and, and we have messages, we preach on this, we rarely ever speak on giving. We need to speak more on it. But if you're not a tither, I would rather you give consistently. It's just easier to survive as a church. This is the only way that happens. There's no like secret fund that the government gives you when you start a church. Like You'll be fine. It's only because you give. And then if that's happening, we want to ask that you give it over the next five months. And a way you can do that is you can check. I want to give the total of this amount, and I'm going to split it over five months. Or you can say, I want to give it one time. But if all of us give... It can go a long way. I do pray that somebody is just radically generous, but I also pray that if you have the widow's might, if you're in that situation that you give out of um, uh, sacrifice, don't just expect because, but you can give something. We're going to give something. The staff is going to give something. We're not just expecting y'all to do it, but I want you, we're supposed to be praying all week. Of course you did, right? And you probably are getting over your fasts right now, right? No? Okay. Um, And at the end of service, we're asking you to turn it in right here right back there and right back there. And there is a descriptive list of everything that we're getting. There's no secret thing on there that you won't hear about. And then the business-related stuff in that space, the open shared space for the community, will start after we get the kids in there. And we'll start working towards a plan to be in there in January. And that's business on mission. The ideas are aplenty. But we're trying to go slow on that so we don't do anything stupid. Because Jordan and I could do a bunch of great stuff that could also fail. And we just want to make sure that we do it the right way, and a lot of you have ideas, so be praying until then, but also be ready, because this, this space can be used to bless our kids crazily, and I'm just excited to see that, so amen? Amen. amen. All right, so jumping in today, uh, Father, everybody put your hands over your heart. 
Father, for some of us, this is a lost ground. This is a ground we've allowed the kingdom of this world to seat upon the throne of it. And maybe we don't really know it, and maybe we can exist in Christian communities and still live under the guise of ambition and personal growth and me and meism and my future and my call and my gifts and what I can get. And all of those things are very easy for us to do, even as Christians, especially in America. So today as we read a passage about extreme failure from people who shouldn't, help us to see what you were speaking to them in failure so that we see it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in Mark, and two weeks ago Jordan spoke, I thought was an amazing message, on the table and how submission will get you a seat at the table, right? Ambition will draw you away from the table. Submission will keep you at the table. At the table, you're going to hear Jesus. You're going to understand how he chooses, blesses, breaks, and gives not only the bread but the body. You're going to be in the midst of deep conversations. But then ambition, like Judas, if it comes in, will take you away from the table, right? Jesus will not. Jesus didn't even send Judas away from the table as much as Judas was doing, doing it himself. So last week, we jumped through the passage on communion or the Eucharist, the Lord's table, and the Passover. And we talked about how we feel like the space downstairs is like a table for the city of Smyrna. The idea is that it is the table. We are inviting people to come in the common spaces, eating, to to be drawn into the sacredness of Jesus, right? The choosing, the blessing, the breaking, the giving. And we believe he's going to do that part down there. So... But I also want to remind you of what we talked about a few months ago when Henry Nouwen discusses these ways that the table really reveals in us how to live under the blessing, not under the cursing. To live under the blessing is to see our humanity and realize that it points us to the need of Jesus. Living under the cursing is to see our humanity and our sin and let it be the reason that explains why we always believe what we always believe. And that is the affirmation, we are never going to be good enough. That is the flesh, right? The flesh or self can be an amazing self-hater, right? So pride in a lot of ways can look like pride and arrogance, but also it can look like someone who's so good at beating themselves up that they don't know how to get through the next day. Pride can surface in many different ways. So Jesus in this passage is roughly 12 hours from the cross. So it feels like these are like pivotal moments. Everything he does would be important. Just a reminder, he knows all that's happening. He knew what would happen with Judas. He spoke of it. He knew what is going to happen with Peter. He knows that all of his disciples are about to flee. He knows all of that. He knows everything about you. There's no one in here, he's not fully aware of everything about you, right? He knows this. He's continued with them, even up to this point, without a desire to push them away. This is somehow all part of the plan. Somehow their failure is continually a part of the way he is going to transfer them into the kingdom. It's, it's baffling. And this, and this passage is a huge failure, is a massive failure. And for me... Clear failure that's not kind of tossed away as a mistake, which I think when some of us fail, we're just like, I I made a mistake. And sometimes like, no, that wasn't a mistake. You actually willfully did that, and that happened. When that kind of thing happens to us, it's one of the toughest things to deal with and getting through it because you know you did it, you're guilty, and now what do you do? Especially if you thought you wouldn't do that. Two occasions here, 
there any young children in here? Can you go gather all the young children? I'm just kidding. Um, I remember the first time I was riding down the street, I had, I had tampered in all kinds of drugs. I was 17 years old, riding down the street with a guy named Kiko Lightfoot, who is now dead because he overdosed. And I was sitting in his Z300Z, I think. And he pulled out a dollar bill and pulled out some cocaine. I had never done it at this point. And I was sitting in the passenger seat saying, I will never do that. I, I was saying to myself, I will never do that. 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 As he's driving, he hands it over to me. And I literally do it on the spot while saying, I will never do that. I will never do that. Does that make sense? I was certain I wouldn't. Handed to me, and it was like within a second or two. I also remember when I started seminary, um, I was just getting out of Lee University. I shouldn't have gotten through. It took me five years. No high school education. I, I kind of uh, schmoozed my way through a little bit, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I started seminary, and I still had a lot of sin that I considered like separate you from God sins. And I decided one day, I'm done with this. I'm done with sin. I'm done with tobacco, because that is definitely the enemy's number one tool, right? Tobacco and dancing. Those two things will kill you quicker than anything. And I remember, I just I made my stand. I was like, I'm, I am now Christian, and none of y'all can make me different, right? And I started seminary. I was listening in class and taking notes. I was cheating much less, um, much, much less. And after about two months in seminary, like the perfect storm. Like I was resolved. I'm, I'm now Jesus's property. Never again will I do the things I've done. And in about two months, there was like this perfect storm night at my apartment where so many disgusting things happened. So many old sins resurfaced. So many addiction things resurfaced. I literally made four or five of the worst decisions of my life two months into seminary. And feeling like for the next month, I was certain I would not do that. I was certain, and I did it and dealing with the feelings, the fallout from that kind of failure puts you in a different spot than any other kind of failure. Because you literally think there's no way, and then you do it, and you realize, I am a limited human, that I was certain. In this passage alone, seven hours before it happens, G Peter is screaming at Jesus, I will not forsake you. Actually, you're going to do that three times within the next seven hours. That's so clueless about who you are, about the truth about, and this is what pride does. Like you, It's hard to actually see, but he denies him three times within seven hours. And so as we start this passage, I want to, I want to read you, you know, well, first this, the reminder. For me in that seminary experience, I was left with no choice to either pull that under the cursing or the blessing. And if I pulled it under the cursing, I was done with God because there's no way he could, he could have somebody like me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in seminary, right? Like, I'm stinking in seminary making these failures, right? Like, I, there's no way I can continue with God. Or I could pull it under the blessing and say, God, this has got to be your number one reason why you want me because I evidently cannot do this without you. I am the prime candidate, ministry ready, ready to take off, right? And I failed miserably. It, could, it can be, and for me, it became the reason why I finally found the real Jesus. It became, oh my gosh, like, this is what you meant when this situation happens, and I'm actually in failure, not just understanding it. This is what that meant. And something changed in me from that point on. It, I believe it was the beginning of the crucifixion of my flesh and the birth of the Spirit in me. 
And when that transfer happens in our calling, in our walk, when the death of your flesh, because whether you believe it or not, Christian or not, your flesh still has goals. Even in ministry. And the most pivotal part and the most growing season you will face is in that to allow those flesh dreams to die so that the dreams of the Spirit can come. And it will be painful. It will not feel like this is God's work. It will feel like, what are you talking about? I will never, ever deny you. You are crazy. I'm Peter. I'm like one of the best, one of your three. I'm Peter. I'll be the rock. He doesn't even know that yet, but you guys understand. Okay. So I'm going to read you these two passages. Mark 14, 26 through 31. You can pull it up. This is our next in this series. Okay. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away. Such pride talk, right? Even though, like, Bill and Jordan and Sarah, those jokers probably are going to fall away. I'm Josh and probably not falling away. Even if all these disciples fall away, right? And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, listen, bro, like, I know that you've been watching me, Jesus. If I have to die, I'll die for you, bro, right? Like, he's so in it. I will not deny you. And he believed it. He's not lying to convince Jesus. This is, he believes this. I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, we won't either, for sure. Like, we're not doing any of that. You don't have to worry about us, right? Can you pull up the next passage? This is from Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Now I want to pray. I want you all to close your eyes. Father, that we would be able to hear clearly when you speak clear words. Father, that we would be able to hear clearly when you speak clear words. This passage, there's no sugar, there's no adding more. It's just the truth to the disciples. Father, that we would be able to hear clearly when you speak. And that we wouldn't let our pride goals tell the truth of what you're saying to us, that that's not Jesus because I don't get where I'm going in that scenario. But that we will step back and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do I do? There's no way for me to even do this, Jesus, unless you're, you're leading me. Help us to have the kind of theology that allows us to hear you say you will fail and not hear you say you're an idiot, you will fail. Help us to have the kind of theology that hears you draw us back to you after the failure experience exposes the thing in us that you try to heal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing I want to start with is they sing a hymn. And I just think this is interesting. In fact, what they would do around the Passover is they would sing five hymns called the Hallel. And they would be from Psalm, from the Psalms, and they would sing them together. And then they would end the gathering with the great Hallel, which is Psalms 136. You've all 
sung songs with this passage. If you were raised in anything related to the vineyard or anything like that, you've sung some stuff. But I love that he starts this, because that, to me, feels out of place when I read that. And they sang a hymn together. Like, in between these two things, you're like, you didn't probably need to add that. Like, that's great that they did that, but what's the purpose? And I think this is why. Because they sing these songs at every time, and they sing these reminders, it's a way for, actually, a song is a way for something to stay with you for longer sometimes than you want it, right? Like, what does the fox say? Like, way longer than you ever want it. That's with you, right? We all have like songs we hear over and over again. Songs stay with you. So they, they end this gathering after the foot washing, after the betrayal, after Judas leaves with a hymn. And the great Hillel, Psalm 136. And just for you to know, this passage talks about 26 things that God does. But in every verse, it says the same thing. His love endures forever. So it says 26 awesome things, but also connected to that. This is 136, actually. It says his love endures forever. So he does all these things, but in each of those everythings, his love endures. I'm going to try this, okay? I'm going to say a phrase, and then you're just going to say his love endures forever, okay? When I point at you, give thanks to the Lord. For, who, who just sang that song in their head? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Does anybody not know that song? Now you do, okay? All right. All right, I'm going to point at you. Give thanks to the, the God of gods. He alone does great wonders. He spread the land and the waters. He made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. He struck the firstborn. Okay, let's keep going. And brought Israel from among them. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, he divided the Red Sea and led Israel through. He led his people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings. Amen? She lost my spot. Okay, slaughtered. There you go. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Sorry, Sihong, and sorry, Og. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to Israel, his servant. He remembered us in our humiliation. And rescued us from our foes. He gives food to every creature. Now let's say this last one with a little bit of ump, okay? Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. What is fascinating to me is that right before this passage happens, these guys said that phrase 26 times. His love endures forever. So you know, later on in the day, they're walking around. There's a dog that runs over, and they're thinking his love endures forever. They're saying a thing, his love. It's just the repetition, right? These things happen to Peter and he's probably still got that tone in his head, however they sang it. They didn't sing it like we just did. He still got, he probably said, I don't know him. His love endures forever. <laughs> he probably saw Jesus being taken. His love endures. This is still in his mind. Is that not crazy? The repetition of what you just did, they did that night. 
before this happened. Why would he start with that? He needed them to know up front they're going to need that 26 sayings in just a little bit. So he wanted to get it in there first, right? Secondly, he clearly prophesied to them. Can you pull up Zechariah 13:7. This is what he prophesies from. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. He's actually talking about how God will do this to somebody that's his own, Jesus, and that they will scatter but he clearly gives them five prophecies before they happen practically. Not the kind of prophecy that someone gave you that's like I see a lion on a mountain and he's got a white mane and in the mane there are teeth and each teeth has a hat. And each hat represents, like not that kind of prophecy, like you're going to walk away. Like there's no way to like misinterpret that, right? It's just, you mean like this? Like you're going to walk away I'm going to be strucken, stricken. You're going to scatter. No idea how to receive it. This is baffling to me, but so true of us. He says the most clear thing to them possible through prophecy. He's never been wrong. He, he knows all. They know this about him, and they cannot hear it. You will walk away. What would make a person hear that from their king and not take it literally? Like, Josh, you're going to walk away. <laughs> no. No, I'm not. Maybe, maybe you are Jesus? No, I'm definitely not. I'm, I'm going to where I'm going. How do they not hear it? That's us all the time. And here's how they not hear it. Pride, when it comes in, does a good job of blinding you of the things that matter because it makes you the most important thing. And if the things that don't build you to where your goals for you are, you don't care if it's Jesus or not. You're not listening. You're not listening. Pride blinds us to the ability and, and our ears keeps us from being able to hear Jesus. It keeps us from understanding our weak spots. And it definitely keeps us from being able to see the need in others. They're standing with someone who in 12 hours will be crucified. And not one of them has walked up and said, listen, this evidently is the heaviest time of your life. Evidently, you're about to die. Can you just walk us through what you need? Not one of them. If any person in this room were to walk up to you and say, I am certain I'm dying in 12 hours, you would give the next 12 hours to being with them unashamedly. You would listen. You would serve. Am I right? Jesus, the Savior of the world, explains to his disciples this is about to happen. Not one of them care. Their conversation for the last chapter has been, Jesus, so if you are going, who is the greatest? Jesus, if you are going, where can I sit at this table? Jesus, I hear what you're saying. But evidently, you don't know me because I'm Peter and I will never forsake you. I love you unashamedly. I love you so much. There's a way for your love for Jesus to be more about you than about him. And that's what Peter did. If your love is about how much you love Jesus, you'll walk away from him like that. If your love is about devotion, it's about backing up when he says something and saying, that did not land well, but I'm going to listen. Because I know from you, Jesus, soon... Even painful things can be prayed about. God, take this from me. But if it's not your will for it to be taken, let your will be done. Right? It's confusing, though. Because in this passage, how do you like... This is not a prosperity message. You're going to fall away. Our instant thought as Christians today would be, well, then just share with me how to not fall away. How about that? 
none of us would be like, okay, I hear you saying this. Uh, what, am I, what do I even do now? Because I don't want to fall away, evidently, and I don't want to betray you for sure. If you're telling me that, Jesus, I know it's going to happen, but what, what do I need to do now? So the purpose here is not, this is where we get it wrong. This is where we harm other Christians. Making that Peter think, you got to stop now, bro, because it's getting bad. Instead of realizing some people need to walk into that spot because it's only in that spot that Jesus will reveal what needs to be healed. That's what happens in Peter. He didn't know he was prideful. He thought he was being the best disciple. He needed to know he was the least amongst them. He needed to know it's not about being the greatest. He needed to see that surface so that when the Holy Spirit comes, it makes sense. Oh, I do need this. Because evidently, when I did that, I thought I wouldn't, right? So there has to be a helper, because my job and myself is not working. That's what we learn from this. But we don't even know what to do with that. People will fail. Keeping them from failure their whole life will be a, a, a terrible mission. Learning how to be with them in failure will change their lives. Will change it, and will change your life. You don't know it in here, but many of you are still carrying weight from a failure that you think was your indictment. It was just the beginning of ministry. It was just the beginning of him showing you. You thought you were an all-star, Josh, because you preached in front of seven people at seminary and a dude said you did a great job. You were ready to preach revivals. Like, you thought you were an all-star, but you didn't know the ministry started as soon as I got into your failure. You didn't know that if I couldn't get into that, you wouldn't actually be worth anything because you'll still be doing it You'll be preaching the revivals instead of Jesus. You'll be leading your, your business instead of Jesus. You'll be married to your wife instead of Jesus loving you through all of it. And that only comes through failure. Failure teaches very differently than success, right? right? See, to, to me in this passage, right, it's like they're 12 hours away. I'm, I'm getting them together like, listen, because I coach a baseball team. I'm the worst coach ever, for sure. I'm not just saying that. It's truth. Before a baseball game, I want Noah to do everything right. I don't want all the other kids to do everything. So I'm like, listen, you're, so your swing, right, it's terrible. Like, literally, these are my words. Like, I know that you're better than this because I've just showed you for 10 weeks how to hit better than this, right? I know you're better than that. Like, we're not just giving trophies out to everybody, right? Get out there and be somebody, right? But I've learned through the process that if I want them to succeed in a game, I have to step back and be like, everything's going to be fine, guys. When I'm thinking, this is about to be awful. Everything's going to be fine. Baseball is about enjoying. That's a lie, by the way. I'll fight anybody in here that wants to take me up on that. Baseball's about winning. We all know that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I've learned that in those moments where I can say, calm down, calm down, get out there and run around, knowing that probably it's not going to end well, it's going to be better for them. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is like, let's think of the most intricately painful situation for right before I leave to extract some things. He's like the, the worst coach ever. Like all this terrible stuff, the game's about to start, you're all going to be awful at it. You're going to fail miserably. Enjoy life. Bye. <laughs> and they do, right? So, so why does this happen? This is important. Timing here. He needed them to learn this lesson more than any other, and the only way to get it out was through this situation. The only way was to put them in a situation where they were definitely going to fail so that he could come back in. Peter's response to this is unbelievable. So Peter, afterwards, he's told in verse 29, Jesus is going to Galilee. I, he's, he's basically saying, I want to meet you there. After this failure happens, all of the disciples decide to stay in the upper room, and Peter decides to go back into the fishing business. So Peter interprets this failure as the end of his walk with Jesus, right? 
Peter takes this failure to be the reason for the cursedness and decides it's over. So what does Jesus do? (laughs) This is where it gets good. This is where Jesus is why I'm in love with him, right? You can pull up John 21. Because Peter's got to be thinking, like, if Jesus were to randomly show up, he would not be happy with me. And for real, like, not just because he doesn't know Jesus like we do. He doesn't know the resurrected Jesus yet, right? He just knows, I, I told that guy I would never fail him within seven hours. I did it three times, just like he said. So he even called me out on it prophetically. That's painful. So I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm avoiding him. This is Jesus. This is his reentry into Peter's life, right? After Jesus had revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. This reentrance, I'm sure Peter's like, he doesn't know yet, but he's like, okay, what's going on? Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They probably start knowing around here. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Crazy Jesus bomb, don't have time for that. Amazing. All right, next one. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea, not to, to drown but because he wanted to go to Jesus. Next one. And this is where you start to see the the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they had got on the land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. This Jesus had done this. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore of the two large fish, of the large fish of them. And although there was so many, the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus' way to re-immerse himself in someone who had miserably failed him was to make them breakfast. Do we know that, Jesus? That in your worst failure, you wake up and he's sitting in your kitchen. It's like, Hannah, come sit with me. Leslie, come sit with me. And you're like, I'm not even talking. I'm just going to sit. What, Jesus? Jesus' way to show his anger was to make him breakfast, not because he was actually angry, but because he needed all that to happen to see what was about to happen. His ministry is about to start, and you know the story, right? Peter's the who. Homeboy later talks about the devil seeks like a roaring lion because he knows now, right? The word here for fall away is actually also trap, and Peter didn't see it coming. But there's a trap for all of us when we're in pride, and it's coming. It's coming. And when it does come, please, God, respond as Peter did and not as Judas. Because Peter was open. He jumped in the water. I don't even know what that looks like with all those garments on, but it doesn't look pretty, I can tell you that. And he's going across the water, and Jesus made him breakfast. So in each of us, and I'm going to close with this, there is, it's not, and some of you, this is not the message to tell you how about your selfish pride and come to the altar. I'm telling you this, you have pride. And it needs to be crucified. And it will be painful. 
There's no way around that. There's no like easy, if you ever try to drown someone, they don't want to be drowned, right? Like, and I know that we all have not done that. Um, but your flesh wants to die about that much. Your flesh will scream at Jesus. Don't you understand where I'm at in life now? Don't you understand the opportunity right in front of me? There are some corners I'm cutting, but Jesus, it does get me to my goal. It does get me there. And Jesus is saying, stop. Listen, you are in error. You don't even understand. I promise you I understand, and I know this path, and I know that where it's taken me is the goal. If that part of your calling does not die, the part of the spirit will never live. And it has to be crucified, and it will be painful, but Jesus will show up in the midst of it and make it so much better. It'll smell like bacon and eggs or whatever else, like quinoa, whatever, or yogurt, depending on who you are. So so I just want to ask you this, right, because it's not easy to just go drown yourself, right, for that to happen. But it is easier to stop enough to say, is Jesus saying something similar to like he was saying to the disciples? And they were just clueless, but it was simple. Sometimes the most amazing things that will happen in our lives is from something Jesus has been saying for so long that it seems too simple and too easy. It's definitely not intricate enough to get me where I'm going. But it's just something so practically simple like, stop, slow down, sit with me. Just something. I'm not talking about there will be a donkey that comes in the night and it'll have four wings and not those kind of things. Just where you're going will kill you. If you continue to treat your family that way, you will lose your influence in their lives. Simple stuff, practical stuff. If you lead your business like that, you're going to fall. If you cut corners, you're going to fall. If you're in another relationship while being married, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. It's not going to not happen. But I'll even say this at the risk of Jesus is on the other side of all of that. No matter how nasty you think it is, we have degrees of sin that we decide, well, at least I didn't do that, right? Like, like massive church out west that just had this stuff happen. Well, at least we're not doing that, right? Like, at least I didn't do that. There's all, all of us have the ability to fall for a trap if we're in pride. Doesn't matter if this is a mega church or a tiny church or if, if you're just leading a business, the trap is there. Unless you're submissive and listening to the voice of God and able to create space, it's coming. But if it comes, and if it's already come, this is where I want to end. If you're fishing right now, and by that I mean, I was hoping that would connect more, but Peter went back to fishing because he was done, because he, he failed too much. Are you, are you fishing? Are you back in your business? Are you back fishing? Because it's definitely not going to work. I'll just encourage you. God started some of the best work he'll ever do in your life. And that failure under the cursing will keep you away from it forever. But all you have to do is just invite him back in. He doesn't have to restart. The work has already been started. Are you willing to let pride dissipate, to not beat yourself up enough to let him be savior that you need, not savior that you can partner with because you can be savior too? Are you ready? And I'll say this too. We've sent a lot of people back to fishing. We send people fishing all the time. Somebody does something incredibly awful near us, to us. You need to go fishing, bro. You're not cut out for this. God didn't send them fishing. 
Don't be the voice that tells people to go back to the things that will destroy them. Jesus sits with, stays with. He knew from the beginning that we would all fail, and every one of you failed equally. Even me, Sarah. So as I pray today, I don't really know how to end this one. I just know that if you can go to bed tonight singing, his love endures forever. No. If you, can, if you can have that ringing in your head, then maybe when it's painful, you can get through it. And maybe you can see Jesus pulling you out of it. Because that's what he does. He pulls him out for something greater. So, Father, I just ask you right now. There's a Peter in each of us. And... What we need right now is for you to show us how to listen better instead of how to do better. There's a failure that we can all remember, and for some of us, it's gotten the best of us. He just wants to take that from you, and he wants you to be happy that he's taking it. You don't have to be upset that you're the person who needs the grace. We all need it. It's good to need it. And as we move forward as a church, Father, help us to throw ourselves at people who have failed to love them by making them breakfast. Help us to be that body, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord God, we're your body. And I pray right now that people would receive prayer that need it. Please do not leave if you feel in your heart you need prayer. You have it right here. And I pray as we go, we would wake up because the strongest and most fertile ground are the people all around our lives that are fishing again. Failed too much. They need to see and sense the love of a Savior. We thank you for our space that you've given us, and we just pray in line with what you've already given us that people would give generously and that we would respond to what you're putting on our hearts. God, I thank you for the moms in this room. Thank you for the people who have mothered well. And I thank you for the strength that has come to the people who have had struggles in this area. As we enter our city this week, let us love people like you love. Let us see people like you see. Let us hear people like you hear. We crucify the part of our flesh that wants to be a kingdom or build something beautiful or our own. And we ask that your spirit would come in and continue the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.